morning to you all. Certainly thankful to our Heavenly Father who touched each and every one of us in our sleep and woke us up to an unpromised day. Thankful for this time of year. We're past the 100 plus degree days of summer and we're now into the coolness of fall. Coolness of these days simply remind us that God is still on the throne as the seasons continue to change. We're thankful for our visitors. Thankful that you chose to be here this morning. We certainly appreciate your presence, and we hope that uh, you've been edified and encouraged uh, by being here today from the singing and the praying. We hope the teaching is also uh, beneficial to you. And of course, we're thankful to our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, all who are here today. We're able to build up and encourage one another, knowing that we are not the only ones walking this race or running this race. Pursuing heaven. Thank for each and every one of you here. There is a word from the Lord today. As you see from the screen, the title of today's message, Almost Persuaded. It comes from the Apostle Paul's encounter with King Agrippa in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. As the 26th chapter opens, we find the Apostle Paul standing before King Agrippa ready to defend himself, for his life is on the line. But what has occurred, what has happened to put Paul in this position, to be in this position before the king, fighting for his life? Now understand that we need to go back a little bit. We need to go back, so we're going to take a moment to go review some of the book of Acts to get enough context and background to understand why the apostle Paul is standing, standing before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Now, the Apostle Paul was one who was chosen by God, chosen by the Heavenly Father to proclaim his word around the world. Paul, who was once a persecutor of the way, was converted. And the latter part of Acts tells his story as he took the gospel to the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts, we can read about three missionary journeys where Paul and his fellow workers traveled abroad, taking the gospel of Christ to new places and revisiting several places to strengthen the Christians. The account of Agrippa occurs during Paul's third missionary journey, which we find in the 18th chapter of Acts, the beginning of his third missionary journey. Acts 18 and 23 records Paul leaving for his third missionary journey in order to strengthen and build up the disciples. On the screen, you can see there on the map, the starting point there on the right-hand side, his journey that began in Antioch, and then on through Galatia and Phrygia, which was, which was Asia Minor, and even up into Macedonia and Achaia. And this journey went on for about two years. And while on this journey, the Apostle Paul purposed in his heart that he wanted to make it back to Jerusalem. And he also desired that after leaving Jerusalem, he wanted to visit Rome and proclaim the gospel there. And so in verse 17 of chapter 21, we can read where Paul finally arrived in Jerusalem after making his way on a missionary journey, where he was gladly received by the Christians there. Paul told them, the leaders at the church there, of his journey and his labor among the Gentiles. And he said, the brothers in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us here that the brothers in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, they glorified the Lord. They praised God after hearing the good news that 
the Apostle Paul broke, that he, as he shared how successful he were, was in sharing the good news to the Gentiles. But they told Paul, they shared with him that there were many thousands of Jews that believed in Jerusalem. And they were loyal to the old law of Moses. These thousands of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they believed upon Christ as the Messiah, but they did not understand that the old law had passed away and the law of Christ was in effect. They lived as Christians, but they continued to live by the old law too. And so they told Paul, these leaders there in Jerusalem, they said, these Jews have heard about you. They've heard that you're teaching all the Jews that live among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they shouldn't circumcise their children, nor do they have to live according to the customs of Moses. They're going to know that you're in town, implying it's not going to be a good thing. So they told Paul, they had a plan, here's what you're going to do. There are four men here that have made a vow, a vow under the old law, And so you will pay the price for these men to have their heads shaved as part of the vow. And by doing this, by doing this act, by paying the price, those who oppose you, they will see that you are still careful to observe the old law because you are supporting these men in their vow under the old law. And thereby, the uh, people will understand that the rumors about you are false. I'll go on a tangent here for just a moment. Because we're going to see that the Apostle Paul agreed. He went along. He went along with this. And so I asked myself, why was Paul willing to go along with this, I'll call it a charade? Why doesn't he resolve to simply teach those who oppose him the right way, that they are not bound by the old law anymore? Why is he going along with this charade? And I really don't know, for the text does not tell us. It doesn't explicitly tell us why. All we know is that Paul complied with the request of the leaders in Jerusalem. If anything, I believe the 1 Corinthians 9 here on the screen explains his actions. Paul's overall goal was to save souls. As it says, to the Jews, he became a Jew, that he might gain the Jews. He complied with the constraints of the old law to reach those. Yes, I believe he went along for the purpose of reaching the lost. He did this for the sake of the gospel. However, as we look to chapter 28 here, or uh, verse 28 of chapter 21, we see that this plan did not work. Paul was spotted in the temple, and the Jews apprehended him, saying, this is the man who teaches men everywhere against the people. He teaches them against the law. He teaches them against the temple. And to make matters worse, he has brought Greeks into our temple and has polluted this holy place. They found him and they got him. And they're making these accusations against him. And as the Bible goes on, we learn that the crowd got bigger and bigger. They proceeded to drag Paul out of the temple. And they were ready to kill him. The situation got so bad that the Roman military unit that was stationed there came about. And they had to rescue Paul as he was being beaten by this mob. The chief captain of this military unit tried to mediate he tried to understand what was going on, but he couldn't make heads or tails of the situation because there were so many accusations being thrown about. So now that Paul is under the control of, this, of the Roman authorities, 
He asked for permission to address his brothers, to address this angry mob. And so chapter 22 records what he said to them as he addressed them in the Hebrew tongue, reminding them that he was one of their own. He explained his Jewish credentials, that he was a persecutor of the way. I used to persecute these Christians that you hate. He explained he was a persecutor of the church. He explained his encounter with Jesus, the Messiah, on the road to Damascus. And he then tells the Messiah, telling him that he himself will be sent to the Gentiles. That statement of him going to the Gentiles, about him taking that message of God to the Gentiles, is, where, is when and where he lost the attention of this angry mob. Everything was fine until Paul mentioned the Gentiles to his Jewish brethren. They really had a problem with the message of salvation going to the Gentiles. At the mention of the Gentiles, the angry Hebrew mob cried out that Paul was not fit to live. The chief, the chief captain, the Roman authority, was still trying to investigate as, as chaos is going on. And he's trying to get to the bottom of things, trying to understand why this mob is gathered together trying to kill Paul. So he turns his attention to the Apostle Paul. The Bible says that the chief captain was about to examine Paul by scourging. In other words, Paul was about to catch a severe beating and then more inquiry. However, before that could happen, Paul asserted his rights as a Roman citizen. He asked the captain, is it lawful to scourge a Roman that hasn't been condemned by trial? And so the threat of a beating quickly went away as the chief captain made haste to do things the right way. He commanded the chief priests of the Jews and all their council to assemble before him and then make their accusations against Paul. And so that brings us to the beginning of chapter 23 where Paul goes on to address this assembly again before the chief captain. But unfortunately, he doesn't get very far. The assembly turned into chaos once again as the Jews start fighting amongst themselves. For Paul saw that there was a division amongst them, Sadducees and Pharisees. And so they started fighting amongst themselves. And the chief captain could get nowhere trying to understand the chaos. The situation may have looked bleak for Paul. You have so many here seeking to take his life, to kill him for his obedience to Jesus, the Messiah. But the following night, the Bible records here on the screen that the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer for you have testified of me in Jerusalem and you must bear witness also at Rome. What a blessing. What a blessing. Paul is encouraged that he is on the right track, that he is still doing the right thing. He was encouraged by the Lord, letting him know that he will survive this trial that looks bleak. He will live through this, and he will get to Rome to proclaim the gospel. However, you see the very following verse. Despite this assurance from the Lord Jesus, Satan is still the prince of the air. And he is able to use man as he tries to frustrate the will of God. The Bible records that 40 Jews bound themselves together under a, a curse, resolving not to eat nor drink until they killed Paul. 
Well, word of this pact eventually got to Paul. And he had the message relayed to the chief captain, the Roman authorities. And this matter wasn't taken lightly. It wasn't blown off. At the third hour of the night, or around 9 p.m., the captain rounded up 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, in order to get Paul safely out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, where he would appear before the governor of the region. So Paul is transported safely to Caesarea in the night, where Felix the governor will hear the accusations against him, and he will have an opportunity to defend himself before the governor. So the Bible records that after five days, his accusers arrived in Caesarea, and they presented their case before Felix, the governor. However, once again, no determination could be made of Paul's guilt because he had broken no Roman law. The dispute was really over Paul proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Certainly nothing worthy of death under Roman law. However, we have a crooked politician Felix is his name. And so to do the Jews a favor, he agreed. He decided to keep Paul in prison, kept him locked up, hoping that he would eventually be bribed in order to let Paul go free. Yes, Felix is a politician that would make any crooked politician smile today. He refuses to do what is right and instead chooses to appease the people. Verse 27 of chapter 24 is significant for us to notice. Paul was unjustly kept in prison for two years. Two years with no real accusations. So during that time, Felix was removed from his position as governor, and he was replaced with a man named Festus. And so chapter 25 picks up with Festus, the new governor. And when he came into his position, he decided to go visit Jerusalem to see those that he governed. And upon his arrival in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, we find that the high priests and the chief of the Jews, they renewed their efforts to put Paul to death. They told Festus about Paul's case. They told him how he had been sitting there for two years. They told him all about Paul, and they requested, can you have Paul sent from Caesarea back to Jerusalem? That will give us the opportunity to ambush and kill him along the way while he's being transported to Jerusalem. Crooked, crooked, crooked. Unfortunately, Festus had some morals. He opposed this plan because it was against Roman customs. He said it wasn't the custom of the Romans to hand over anyone to die before he had faced his accusers. Before he faced his accusers, and had an opportunity to make a defense. So instead, Festus commanded, he said, why don't you come to Caesarea and you present your case against Paul there? And so true to his words, uh, Festus made his way back to Caesarea, and he immediately tended to the case of the Apostle Paul upon his return. Once again, Paul was forced to defend himself before the governor. Once again, the accusations of the Jews didn't stick. There was absolutely no reason for Paul to be put to death, for he had violated no Roman law. However, Festus is another crooked politician in the line of these politicians. He wanted to do the Jews a solid. He wanted to earn their favor, so he proposed to Paul. Paul, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem to present your case there? You've already presented here in Caesarea. Let's just go on down to Jerusalem. 
We see his intent. His intent is to allow the Jews to kill him. But Paul's no fool. He knows what time it is. He sees what's going on. He knows he will never make it alive to Jerusalem because the Jews will kill him. So he chose to appeal to Caesar instead. So Festus conferred with his counsel, and he responded, To Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. However, the wheels of justice don't roll that fast. Festus has to get Paul from Caesarea to Rome, and as you see on the screen there, it's a long way from the bottom right-hand corner all the way up to Rome, the upper left-hand corner. You're not just hopping on a flight to get to Rome. It's a long way to Rome. Festus has to find a ship headed for Rome. He has to prepare paperwork on Paul's case so that Caesar can understand the accusations and he can properly make a judgment. But here's the problem. Once again, as I already said, there is no case against Paul. Paul has broken no Roman law, especially anything worthy of death. So Festus has a tough task ahead of him. And this is where King Agrippa comes into the picture. You know, it seemed like I was going on and on. This is what gets Agrippa. So who is King Agrippa? He is a Jew. He is a Jew who was appointed to be governor over Judah by the Romans. So he serves the Roman government, but he presides over Judea, where the Jews reside. So this means that Agrippa had an understanding and a respect of the Jewish customs. Agrippa's great-grandfather, let's talk about his lineage just for a moment, his great-grandfather is the King Herod that we read about in Matthew 2, who sent orders to kill all the children in Bethlehem that were two years old and younger as he tried to kill Jesus, the Messiah, in his infancy. Agrippa's great-uncle is the Herod that we can read about in Matthew 14, who had John the Baptist beheaded. Agrippa's father is the Herod that we can read about in Acts 12, who killed James, the brother of John, and then he had Peter arrested. Yes, although Agrippa is a Jew, it appears that he comes from a line of people that were hostile to the cause of Christ. So Paul appearing before him may or may not be a good thing. But continuing on in chapter 25, we read of Agrippa and his sister Bernice, Bernice visiting Festus the new governor, to pay their respects. So during this visit, Festus shared with Agrippa the predicament that he was in with Paul's case. He hadn't found any fault in Paul, but Paul's accusers still wanted him dead. In verse 19, he even said that this case was about Jewish superstition. He said about someone named Jesus who was dead, but who Paul affirmed that was alive. Festus really didn't get it. He wasn't Jew. He, he didn't understand. So he's reaching out to Agrippa. Festus grasps that this case is based on something about a religious dispute, but he doesn't understand it. However, Paul has appealed to Caesar, so he must send him to Rome, but he doesn't know what to accuse him of. And he hopes that Agrippa, who is a Jew, can help him better understand this case and help him determine what's right on behalf of Paul as he sends him to Caesar. So King Agrippa agrees to hear the case. So now things are in place. On the next day, Paul will get the opportunity to present his case before Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, and the chief captains and prominent men of the city. What an audience Paul will have to plead his case once again, 
giving him the opportunity to present the gospel to an even wider audience. And so that brings us to chapter 26. Yes, there's a lot of background information, but I feel that it was necessary to understand fully what's going on as we get into chapter 26. And now let's get, let's get the reading. Picking up at the first verse of chapter 26, it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Paul is brought before the court and people, and he and Agrippa permits him to speak freely. So Paul, with outstretched hands, addresses Agrippa, saying, I'm happy to be speaking before you about my case. I'm happy to defend myself before you, especially because I know you are an expert in Jewish customs. You know what we are about. You are a Jew just like me. You understand our customs. You understand our laws. Therefore, I beg you to hear me with patience. As Paul just saying things to be flattery, is he flattery, pumping up Agrippa, or is he serious? I think that he's serious here. Every other person that has heard his case had an agenda. The Roman guard, he just wanted to quell the uproar. He didn't care about the specifics of the case. Felix didn't care about the details of the case. He was hoping to be bribed. Festus just wants the case over. And he was even willing to send Paul to his, his death as he told him, hey, are you willing to go to Jerusalem to present it again? But Agrippa... Agrippa appears to have no agenda, and Agrippa has an understanding of the Jewish customs. Finally, Paul is before someone that will understand the specifics of the accusations against him. So Paul goes on to explain his background to those before him. And he says, everyone knows my past. Everyone knows me. Since my youth, I've been among my own people and in Jerusalem. I was a member of the strictest party of our religion. I lived as a Pharisee. Agrippa would understand this detail. He would understand the magnitude of Paul saying that. Surely he understands how devout the Pharisees strove to be. So Paul goes on to say in verse 6, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Paul gets to the heart of the matter here. And he tells why he's in chains. He says, I'm standing on trial for the hope of the promise that God made to our fathers. The promise to which the twelve tribes hope to see as they serve God day and night. It is this that I am being accused. The promise that the Messiah would come and is written about all through scripture. That's why I'm on trial. He then asked a rhetorical question in verse 8. Why is it considered so incredible if God raises one from the dead? Why is that such a big deal? Implying the promise of God is made apparent when he raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on to describe his own zeal for the law of Moses and the covenant that God made with Israel. In verse 9 he says, I thought that I had to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, and that I did. I opposed the saints. I shut them in prison. 
I gained authority from the chief priests that opposed him and chased him down. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them, I tormented them often in every synagogue. He says, I forced them to blaspheme and deny the Messiah. Not only did I do this in Jerusalem, but I pursued and persecuted them in strange and foreign cities. In verse 11, he says, I was exceedingly mad or enraged against them. Why, Paul? Why were you enraged? What were you enraged for? Because he believed the way these saints were perpetuating a lie, and he himself was defending the faith. But then something happened. Something happened. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So he says, as I was traveling to Damascus, I had the authority of the chief priests, and I was chasing down saints there to persecute. But at midday or around noon, he says, a great light shining brighter than the sun around him. It surrounded him and everyone there, and all of them had fallen to the ground. And he heard a voice speaking in the Hebrew tongue to him. And the voice asked him, why are you persecuting me? And the voice went on to tell him, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. The prick or goad is a sharp stick used to prod animals along. My animals like an ox, moving them forward. So in other words, you were being sent in a specific direction, but you were fighting it. That's what's being said here. Recognizing that this was supernatural, this was something unique going on, recognizing as clearly it was of God, Paul asked, Who are you, Lord? And there, on that very road, the truth of the risen Messiah was confirmed to Paul. As Jesus said in verse 15, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus said, I appeared unto you for this reason, to make you a minister and witness of the things you have seen and of the things which you will see. I will deliver you from the people and the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who have been set apart by faith in me. And that is all a mouthful of words, but Jesus essentially told Paul, I'm sending you to the Jews and to the Gentiles to open their eyes. They are all in darkness right now. They are under the power of Satan right now. And by opening our, their eyes, you will turn them from darkness to light. You will turn them from the dominion and power of Satan to God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. And just in case you didn't know, Satan is the God, little g, of this world. John 14 and 31 says that he is the prince of this world. Ephesians 2 and 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Yes, so many are under the power of Satan. They are in darkness and they walk according to the course of this world. They need to see the light and come out of darkness. They need forgiveness of sins. 
And that is why Paul was chosen by Jesus. And, the, and that same charge actually goes to you and I today. Those of us who submit to the will of the Messiah today, we have that same charge to reach the lost, to bring them out of darkness into the light, to bring them out of the power and dominion of Satan to God. In verse 19, Paul said, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Paul says, I dare not disobey this heavenly vision. The Messiah spoke to me and I obeyed. I went on to Damascus and then went to Jerusalem and then to all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. In verse 21 he says, this is why the Jews caught me in the temple in Jerusalem and want to kill me. The one that I was persecuting made me see that he is alive. I became a follower of the one that I was trying to destroy. I left Jerusalem on a mission to destroy the followers of Christ, and now I'm on a lifelong mission to cause more to follow him, both Jews and Gentiles. That is why they want me dead. They believe that I'm proclaiming a message that is contrary to God, but with God's help, I'm proclaiming exactly what the prophets and Moses said would happen. The Messiah that I'm proclaiming is a fulfillment of what Moses and the prophets said, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Paul said that everything I'm saying is faithful to the same scriptures that those who are trying to kill me profess to believe. Now, so as Paul continued to elaborate, on the fulfillment of the prophecies, verse 24 says that Festus interrupted him. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul has been directing his words at King Agrippa, a man who understands the customs of the Jews, and he's surely following Paul's line of reasoning. But Festus doesn't have that same understanding. After all this talk about a bright light, hearing a voice, but not seeing anyone, one who was supposedly dead, speaking, you, speaking to you and sending you to speak on his behalf, turning people from darkness to light, from dominion to God. Festus has heard enough, and he yells out, Paul, you're crazy. Your great learning has made you insane. Well, Festus is actually right, in a way. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, Yes, this preaching of the Messiah is foolishness. It is craziness to Festus. However, as the verse says, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The reality is this. Everyone isn't going to believe the gospel. But we don't know the hearts of man, and we don't know who will believe. And so we proclaim it for all to hear. We plant the seed in some, we water the seed in others, and we trust that God will give the increase. That is our charge and our responsibility. Verse 25 records Paul's response to Festus. It says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, 
Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. She said, Festus, no, I'm not crazy. I'm only speaking the truth. He then turned his attention back to Agrippa. And he says, the king knows what I'm talking about because none of these things I'm talking about were done in a quarter. They weren't done in secret. He then calls Agrippa to respond. And he says, King Agrippa, you believe the prophets, don't you? I know you believe. Verse 28 records the response of Agrippa. Just then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Unfortunately, Agrippa doesn't believe and he rejects by saying, You almost persuaded me, Paul. Almost. And Paul responds by saying, I wish I could convince you, and I wish everyone under the sound of my voice would be convinced and be like me, except for these chains that I'm wearing. And at this, Agrippa and Festus and Bernice and all those who were sitting with them stood up and they left Paul's presence. They talked amongst themselves, saying, this man has done nothing worthy of death or chains. And Agrippa, with the final say, said, this man might have been given his freedom if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And then the chapter closes. Paul was a determined enemy of the church. However, after meeting the Messiah on the road to Damascus, he became an even more determined defender of the church. On the road to Damascus, he was convinced that he needed to change. And he was told to go to Damascus where he would be told what to do. After three days in Damascus, without his sight, without food and without water, Ananias came and said, The Lord Jesus that appeared to you sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And Ananias then told him what to do. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul learned that he was chosen. He was a chosen vessel of the Messiah. He was to bear his name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's this, this life work given to him by Jesus the Messiah is what put him at odds with his Jewish brethren. They sought to kill him because of this truth. And he suffered greatly because of it, just as Jesus said he would. Nevertheless, Paul encourages us today to be imitators of him, to be followers of him, as he was of Christ. In his conversion, we see that a person can be fully and totally convinced that what they are doing is right and still be 100% wrong. He even said in Acts 23 and 1 that his conscience was clear. His conscience was clear in all that he did. Even when he was persecuting saints, it was all done with a clear conscience. He felt he was in the right. Yes, even with a clear conscience, we can still be in the wrong. But thanks be to God, the Father who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to see a a bright light on the road to Damascus for ourselves. We can look to Scripture and we can build our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can read of Paul's example and we can be convinced of the truth. In his defense before King Agrippa, Paul articulated why he believed as he did. And he sought to convince and convert the king and all those who were there with him. Sadly, the king rejected the words of truth. He rejected the words that could save his soul. As we conclude this message, I appeal to anyone here in the audience that hasn't obeyed the gospel. Anyone that hasn't put on Christ in baptism and has been added to the church. I encourage you, just as Paul encouraged Agrippa. Don't be almost persuaded. 
don't sit here week in, week out, unwilling to go any further, rejecting the invitation each and every Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday. Don't do it. If you're not convinced of the truth of this message that we proclaim, you can add to your faith. You can build your faith by reading God's word. I'm fully convinced that you will believe if you take the time to read and understand. However, if you need help with that, if you need someone to help you understand what to read, if you need someone to help you understand what you're reading, I can tell you that there are many in this congregation that are willing and they are ready to study with you to help you understand God's will for, his, for your life. If you're not sure who to ask, or perhaps you're uncomfortable asking someone, just come to one of the elders or one of the deacons of this congregation. Or you can come down front. When we sing the invitation song, we will certainly help you with that. For we have a command from God to reach those outside of his kingdom and share the good news with them. That is our priority. That is our focus. And so please reach out. We want you to be fully convinced that you need to be in the kingdom of God and not almost persuaded because that path ends in hell. We hope to persuade you because this is just that serious. Next, I appeal to those who are already in the kingdom of God, those who are already members of the church. You've believed the gospel message. You've put on Christ in baptism. You're striving to walk in the light. You continue to study God's word, and you try to remove those things from your life that are contrary to his will, and you try to add those things to your life that are pleasing to him. In Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission was given. We have our marching orders to go and teach all nations, baptizing and teaching all that the Messiah has commanded. Are you faithful to that command? You don't have to go overseas to be faithful to that command. There are people right here in Dallas, Texas that you can reach. There are people on your job you can reach. There are people in your family you can reach. People in your neighborhood. There are probably people who rode in the car with you today that you can reach. But you may feel that you're not good with words. You may feel that you just can't do it. It's not your thing. Don't make it more complex than it has to be. Look at Paul's example, what we read this morning. All he did was tell his own story. He said, this is what I used to be. I was a Pharisee and I was opposed to the way. I was opposed to the Messiah until I met him. And now I believe and I committed even with my life on the line. Surely you're able to tell your own story. It's yours. You should be able to tell it as to why you believe. Are you prepared to, for faith, to face the Agrippa of your life? Are you ready to open your mouth and proclaim the words of truth and perhaps turn someone from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God? Well, if you're not, why don't you accept this message as encouragement to get ready? To get in God's word and grasp why you believe in the Messiah. Why you believe that salvation from the punishment of sin is available to all who believe and submit to God's will. Consider this message as an encouragement to do that. It is what God expects of you. Those are all the things I have prepared to say this morning. I hope that this message has been encouraging to you. I hope that it even provokes you to change if change is necessary, if change is needed in your life. At this time, we will offer the invitation. We will sing a song to encourage anyone who has a desire to come forward. The opportunity for you to do that is now as we stand and sing the selected song.
most persuaded now to be 